The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, here's Dr. G. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining us for Leadership Matters. My name is Cheryl G., and I'll be your host for the hour. Our topic for today is the making of a CEO in sustainable organization. And this is particularly as it relates to the nonprofit sector. With us today is Mr. Rudolph Johnson III, President and CEO of the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California. The Neighborhood House Association is one of, if not the largest, multi-purpose human service nonprofit agency in San Diego. Rudy, welcome. Thank you very much. Good afternoon. Yes, and thank you so much for being with us today. Before we jump right into our topic, yes. I'm going to just kind of step back, Rudy, and ask you just to share with our listeners a little bit about the Neighborhood House so that we have a little bit of context regarding the organization you lead. Sure. Uh, First of all, let me say the Neighborhood House Association is the third largest nonprofit entity in the county of San Diego. So you're right, we're the largest uh, human services agency, but we're the third largest nonprofit across the board, which I think is huge and very, very significant in terms of serving San Diegans countywide. Uh, The Neighborhood House Association has been around for 95 plus years, and it started as part of the settlement house movement. At the turn of uh, last century in the early 1900s, Settlement houses were formed to help individuals that were coming from other countries to the United States transition to the U.S. and really give them uh, some of those core uh, support systems that they needed, food, shelter, job readiness training, child care opportunities, etc. And over the years here in San Diego, the Neighborhood House Association has morphed into this mega social service entity that now runs 10 programs across the board. Our marquee program is Head Start. Uh, We have 8,000 children and families that we serve daily. And then we have a mental health component as well, and we have adult daycare uh, facilities as well as a senior nutrition facility. So we're we're an across-the-board, one-stop shop social service entity here in the San Diego area that serves over 22,000 San Diegans. So that's, that's kind of our place and presence here in San Diego. Great. Thanks for sharing that, Rudy. You know, before I um, ask you to share more about your role as president and CEO of the Neighborhood House, I'm going to ask us to um, maybe go down memory lane a little bit and have you talk about what you were doing prior to coming to NHA and what really led you to transition from the public sector into the nonprofit arena. Oh, great question. Um, And I'm probably asked that question uh, over the last four years that I've been in office uh, more often than any other question. And it's very, very simple. Um, You know, I'm coming back to an agency that serves the same footprint that I grew up in as a child. Um, The fact that NHA has been in the community, serving the community for over 95 years, and because I'm a product of this same service area, um, it's not a mystery uh, in the fact that I was part of services provided back in the late 60s, early 70s. I went through this very same Head Start program. So coming from the San Diego Convention Center Corporation where I ascended to the general management, uh, general manager position, I knew it was a matter of time before I went to, to work for some entity here in San Diego that 
actually serve that same footprint that I was a part of. And when this opportunity became available, I immediately threw my hat in the ring and, you know, the rest is history. Fabulous. Well, you know, I'm obviously very familiar with the um, branding initiative that the organization has underway with regards to your living proof, and I guess that goes to speak to that exactly. Absolutely. I mean, when we, that slogan, (laughs) I would say, you know, first of all, let me step back a little bit. You know, Luis Gonzalez, who is our community affairs director, is really uh, responsible for and has been the champion of our rebranding strategy and really positioning ourselves in the community in terms of our logo and um, all of the PR efforts. So, you know, I just want to give him a shout out, as they say in the street, uh, to Luis, because he's been very, very laser focused on that. But this particular tagline was tailor made for a CEO such as myself um, that had gone through um, an element of the programming that we were delivering back in the late 60s, and now I've come full circle to become the president and CEO. I feel very, very blessed and fortunate to be a part of that life cycle. And now, you know, every day that I come to work, I'm doing everything that I can. I'm giving this agency 110% of my spirit and my effort to ensure that we continue to serve this community uh, well beyond my tenure for the next 100 years. What a wonderful testimony for, I think, the investment that our country makes in programs such as Head Start and other programs that really serve our community and then produces wonderful citizens and leaders like yourself. Well, thank you, thank you. We um, we often say that uh, the the federal government got the better end of this scenario. I mean, they invested about um, at the time somewhere between you know uh, fifteen hundred and two thousand dollars a year for me to go through Head Start for two years. So you're talking about a four thousand dollar investment in total, and I think I've more than uh, paid that you know twenty fold in my working career and being a contributor to the federal tax base <laughs> over the years. So I think the federal government got the better share and the better end of that deal, and there's probably one million Rudolph Johnsons in the country. Well, sounds like a wonderful investment. So Absolutely. Rudy, I'm going to ask you um, to think about what did you do to prepare yourself and what tips might you share with others that may be interested in transitioning from corporate or public sector into the nonprofit arena? That's a great question. I, I've been rehearsing for a position, a leadership position in a nonprofit my entire professional career. So it doesn't just start you know, six months before you throw your hat in the ring. I think you really have to position yourself professionally. You have to develop your resume, develop your skill set, so that when you finally get the call to perform, you have that depth and breadth of experience to do so. So that's lesson and point one that I would recommend. Let me pause you for just a second. And, and just say developing your resume. Like, what are some of the things that a person might actually do so that they're positioning for that uh, arena? Well, one of the things I did early on, um, being a young professional and knowing that someday I wanted to be in a leadership position, um, because I couldn't, you know, expedite my advancement professionally. What I tried to do was go out into the community and sit on boards and commissions in the community that allowed me to engage in policy setting of those types of nonprofits and other entities that would eventually give me some of that experience um, with regards to um, setting policy to make a difference in the community. Again, kind of building that tool chest. So prior to really, you know, progressing from a professional uh, perspective on the job, I did external volunteer work in the community through boards and commissions. So that was one uh, way to prepare. Secondly, um, Everywhere that I've been, the city of San Diego for, you know, nine and a half years, San Diego Convention Center for over seven years, I always took what they called, you know, the tough jobs or special assignments. I was one of those individuals that would raise my hand for 
all of the, the, the tough assignments because I knew if I took those tough assignments and was successful, that I was going to start to make a professional name for myself. So I sat on boards and commissions. I took the tough assignments. And then I decided that I needed to understand budget and financing because you can't be a great leader if you don't understand how the budget of the organization works. And, you know, revenue over expenditure, you know, that's, that's budget 101. But how do you generate revenue? And how do you maximize the efficiencies in terms of your expenditures? I think those are things that really make a good CEO great if he or she understands those components. So those were the three things that I did to get myself ready. Okay, so really your involvement in a, on a volunteer basis on those boards and commissions prior to coming, and you said taking the tough assignments as well as understanding the budget. Taking the tough assignments, what would be a tough assignment that you took on in preparation? Well, council liaison to a city manager at age 24, I think, is a tough call. Sounds like a tough um, <laughs> It's a tough gig. <laughs> it's not one of those fun gigs. It's, you know, you sit um, on the floor of the mayor's office, and you set but docket agenda, city docket agenda, along with the mayor's um, docket person every week. And you take that information and you upload that information on a weekly basis into the city manager's office in the way of one-on-one interviews with the city manager. So for a 24-year-old kid um, that didn't have much experience professionally, that was a tough assignment. Okay. Well, we're going to actually go to a a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to ask you if there are other tough assignments that you want to mention before we move into really talking about what you do currently at uh, NHA as the CEO. So we're going to take a quick break. Please stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email drg at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Are you ready to grow your business? Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show with your coach, Rick Carrado. This entertaining talk radio program will bring you the tools to help increase your business. You'll learn sales success, time management, lead generation, business development, life balance, and much more. Rick Carrado is here to help you take your business to the next level. Listen for the Independent Business Owners Show, heard live every Monday morning at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. Thank you for staying with us on Leadership Matters. Today we have uh, Rudolph Johnson III, President and CEO of the Neighborhood House Association, San Diego's, well, I should say, what is San Diego's largest multipurpose? Actually, Rudy, I think you said in the beginning of the show, we are the largest multipurpose human services nonprofit agency in San Diego and the third largest nonprofit across the board. Did I get that right? 
Correct. Absolutely. Great. And today we're talking about the making of a CEO and a sustainable organization, particularly as it relates to the nonprofit sector. Rudy, before we go into your telling us about your role, I'm just going to give you an opportunity to tell us a little bit more. We were talking about what you did to prepare yourself to come to, into the nonprofit arena and, um, and particularly even serving at your level within that that service. You talked about serving on the boards and um, getting to understand budgets, and you were talking about taking the tough assignments. Were there any other right. tough assignments that you took on that you thought really had an impact on your career and your preparation process? Absolutely. And before I answer that question, let me just say your lead-in music is terrific. I don't know Thank if your you. listenership is listening, but uh, mm-hmm. um, one of my it was very, songs. very comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> um, Yes, absolutely. I mean, the the other big assignment that I took uh, was the actual expansion or doubling the size of our San Diego Convention Center. Um, Prior to the expansion, um, we were a relatively small operation in in the country. And um, part of my assignment was to manage the budget, all of the historical underutilized business enterprise participation or uh, minority and women-owned businesses that participated. Uh, we had a wraparound um, uh, insurance uh, program, which meant uh, any contractor coming on board uh, was part of a global umbrella insurance package and didn't have to uh, procure insurance individually, which really kind of balanced the playing field for some of those younger, smaller um, corporations and contractors and uh, the engineering review. So it was a huge undertaking. It was a $216.3 million project, and I'm proud to say that I was part of a team that brought it in on time and under budget. And every time I drive down um, Harbor Drive, which is where that facility sits, uh, there's a small piece of me written on the side of that building. So that was another tough assignment. Fabulous. And sounds like a definitely a, a milestone accomplishment. So congratulations. Thank you so much. Yeah. Would you tell us a little bit about your role as president and CEO of the Neighborhood House? Well, as president and CEO of the Neighborhood House Association, um, let me just say, first of all, from an operational perspective, as a president and CEO, the operational buck starts and stops with you. So, um, you know, I'm the the one employee that the 20-member policy body has. So, um, at the end of the day, um, even though we have a very, very good uh, team of individuals of over 800 employees, uh, the buck starts and stops with the president and CEO. So uh, knowing that, you know, my job is really to ensure that all aspects of this organization are humming at an excellent level. And um, to break that down even further, I tell my senior staff that I really have three uh, jobs or roles on this team. And number one, I handle politics with the board and external um, policy and political members. I raise money. I have to bring revenue in to keep this this huge engine running. And uh, I'm the talent scout. Um, I take pride in going out and finding the best and brightest minds in San Diego and try to convince them to come to work for an ex an organization that is on the rise and peaking out at an excellent uh, level of service. So that's, in a nutshell, what I do as president and CEO is every single thing that this organization does. Wonderful. Thanks, uh, Rudy. What have you found to be most rewarding? In my role as president and CEO, I think mm-hmm. the, 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 the biggest thing that I've found in the four years to be rewarding has been Um, the opportunity to work with some of the best and brightest that San Diego has has to offer. I think across the board you can kind of see our service level rising. You know, four years ago I got here, we may, you know, have been hovering around CC minus service level, and I think that's, you know, rising to a level of AA minus, and we're continuing to push, but it's because we have great minds on this team. So, I think that is probably the most rewarding thing and equally rewarding is at the end of the day, you know, when I walk away from a program, I look into the eyes of our clients 
or our customers, and I see satisfaction in their eyes, and I know that we're doing the right thing. Great. Well, you know, as a member of your um, senior staff team, I tell you, it's a pleasure to work uh, with and for you, and I, too, am really um, excited about the wonderful services that we provide the community. Well, thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, Rudy, on the other side of that coin, as president and CEO, what would you say you found to be most uh, disappointing or challenging? Well, I, I, I don't know if I would say disappointing. I, let's take challenging. I, I like that better than disappointing. I think um, any CEO has to understand that when they step into a leadership role, they have to accept and deal with the good stuff as well as accept and deal with uh, the challenges that need a little work. And um, I'm one of those CEOs that really dives in. I'm hands-on. I I still like to get my hands dirty from an operational perspective, sometimes to the detriment of uh, the folks that I supervise because, you know, I'm sure I can get in their way at times. But, you know, I'm one of those cooks in the kitchen that I want to make sure I'm tasting my product before we serve it. And, um, you know, one of the challenging things is making sure that we have a consistent level of service across the board. That's, you know, from the time that individuals come into our lobby and they're greeted by, you know, our receptionist to, you know, how we're performing inside the classroom for Head Start, how we're delivering services in our mental health program, how we're attending to the uh, needs of the adults in our adult day health care facility and how we're treating our seniors over here at the um, uh, senior center. I mean, across the board, when our brand is pasted on the side of that building or on that program, um, that service level needs to be consistent. And that's one of the biggest challenges that I have as a president and CEO is I have to continue to push this 800-member team uh, to a service level of excellence. Mm-hmm. Great. So, you know, I want to switch gears a little bit. We've kind of talked about the making of a CEO and some of the things that you did to prepare yourself to transition from the public sector into the nonprofit sector, and we'll probably come back to that. But for a moment, I want to just switch and talk about sustainability. And when we talk about sustainability, I'm speaking of, you know, the whole process of being prepared to meet the needs of the community today and for generations to come. So I'll ask you, what is the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego doing to meet this sustainability challenge? You know, that's an excellent question, uh, Dr. G, and, and this is um, this equally could be one of my biggest challenges as a president and CEO, only because there's so much weight on one's shoulders as a president and CEO to make sure that this huge engine is being fed the fuel that it needs to continue to do its mission. And what I mean by that is if you just saw us externally and you looked at our brand and our core mission and the programs that we deliver, you would say, you know, um, this is a pretty good social service agency that's going to be around for a long time. And, um, you know, you really don't think about the fuel that it takes to keep that machine running. You don't think about the business needs. Looking at it through my lens as a president and CEO and understanding that budget and understanding, you know, where that optimum level of performance is, I'm constantly looking at our bottom line and making sure that we're generating enough uh, revenue to cover our expenditures. And part of what we're doing is really taking a look at our revenue generation and really um, trying to wean ourselves off of our government dependency and moving towards more innovative ways to generate revenue through fee-for-service initiatives, i.e. InnoVisions. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I have to confess, Dr. G is... Uh, one of our Cracker Jack superstars here, and she runs InnoVisions, um, and it's an OD, OD arm of Neighborhood House that is available through consultation um, at a fee 
for service, um, as well as we have some central kitchen um, efforts that we're um, marketing out there in the San Diego area as a fee for service. And we're going to be looking for more opportunities to generate some of these innovative ways uh, to develop more revenue into our unrestricted reserve fund so that we can morph and be whatever the community needs as we move forward. So that's one of the strategic ways that we're positioning ourselves in terms of sustainability into the future. Okay, great. You know, Rudy, I am um, just going to ask you to think about, and then in a moment maybe when we come back from break, I'll ask you to share a little bit with regards to how is a nonprofit or how is a nonprofit having a reserve fund different from a for-profit that's kind of working to increase its bottom line, our profit margin. So just think about that. And uh, we're going to take a short break, and uh, we'll be back with more on Leadership Matters. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Get ready for an exciting and eye-opening hour every week on Globe Talk with Avisant. Join your host, Kevin Parikh, for an inside look at the world economy with a special focus on technology and its impact on humankind. We will invite the top industry experts to our forum and answer your questions, too. Globe Talk with Avisant airs live every Friday at 12 noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email drg at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. Thank you for staying with us on Leadership Matters. Today with us is Mr. Rudolph Johnson, the third president and CEO of the Neighborhood House Association in San Diego, California. Rudy, before we went to break, we were talking about um, nonprofits, sustaining, generating revenue, and I asked you to think about and to just kind of share with us when we came back from break, how is a nonprofit having a reserve fund and trying to raise revenue different from a for-profit working to increase its bottom line or profit share? No, that's a great question. I, as you know, for-profit organizations really um, try and uh, generate a profit at the end of the year to either pay off shareholders or, um, you know, pay out these huge bonuses to their top performers. And that's not the case with a nonprofit organization. Generally, a nonprofit organization is generating unrestricted uh, revenue uh, reserve fund. Uh, to do one of, you know, a couple things. Number one, to subsidize any programs that are underfunded. Um, and two, it really gives you the flexibility to morph into uh, programmatic areas that there may not be a funding stream for. But nope, sounds like we may have had a technical glitch. We've lost... Uh... Yeah, I think we've lost our our, um, our guest. So, um, Justin, while we're on the air, are we still on the air here? 
We are. Okay, so I'm going to think that uh, Mr. Johnson is going to call back in, and um, and we'll just kind of continue to talk about We were talking over break um, just how critical it is for nonprofits to have a reserve fund. And I think as um, Rudy was sharing, for nonprofits, having that yeah. reserve fund is really about an organization really being able to continue in its mission and to be responsive to the needs of the community. Uh, Mr. Johnson, are you back? I'm back. I'm okay. back. I guess we had a little bit of a technical uh, <laughs> issue, but we're back on the line. And good, good. Well, wonderful. Fine. I was just kind of filling in with some of the things that we had talked about on sure. the break. And uh-huh. uh, you know, I'm going to ask you, how critical is it to have a reserve for, or I should say for a nonprofit to have a reserve fund? Well, it's very critical because I think um, – you know, it becomes your rainy day money. And as you know, in running any business, whether it's for-profit or non-profit, um, there are going to be, you know, issues that come up throughout a fiscal year that you need a reserve fund to go to to kind of work your way out of that particular issue. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you also may have programs, as I said, that are underfunded, and because you want to sustain that level of service to the community, you don't mind dipping into your unrestricted reserve fund to sustain that programmatic operation. And so it just gives you greater flexibility to make so good I, business um, decisions. Can I just pause you for just a second and ask you, you know, are there any programs at the Neighborhood House Association currently that you're having to subsidize as an agency? Absolutely. We have about four, you know, programs, core programs to who we are as a settlement house that requires us to subsidize um, those programs because they're underfunded either uh, by the state or the county government. And um, they're essential and critical to our uh, clients here in the in the service footprint that we provide services in. Mm-hmm. And our board of directors, as well as myself as the president and CEO, feels like these are critical programs that we're willing to subsidize. What what pro- can you say what programs those are? Sure. Um you know our senior nutrition program is a program um in which we serve on a daily basis, you know, between 48 and 50 seniors and uh, we provide a breakfast, lunch and a snack to them as well as other recreational activities on a daily bre- basis and um you know, that's one of the programs that we subsidize to the tune of $160,000-plus. Uh, uh, and we've been doing that every year uh, for quite some time. Okay. Great. Well, thanks for sharing that. You mm-hmm. know, um, I know that California recently had, um, I guess, a major, a lot of strife going on regarding its budget and its budget crisis. How did having a reserve fund just kind of factor into the neighborhood house kind of during that time? Oh, it was extremely important. Um, It allowed us to continue our programmatic um, elements uh, in delivering services to the community through the budget crises. In other words, we dipped into our reserve fund to augment the lack of state funding um, over you know the past three three and a half months until they finally passed the state budget. Now, had we not had the reserve to do that, those programs programs and services would have been cut to the public that was most in need. And as a result of that, a lot of our clients would have gone you know service less uh, during that crucial time. And so. Uh, the continuity of service, the ability to uh, protect our programs through that crisis um, was huge. And it's all, um, you know, it's all possible because we had an unrestricted reserve fund to, to draw from. Okay, great. Well, congratulations on that. I think that's um, certainly a, um, a notable accomplishment. Um, Rudy, you talked a little while ago about an organization being able to morph, and I'm I'm um, linking that with terminology that we hear so often these days regarding organizations needing to be agile. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you as it relates to sustainability and 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 uh, you know being agile and in an organization um, kind of having that type of um, flexibility or structure? 
Well, being a settlement house such as we are, we're constantly taking the pulse of the community that we serve. And sometimes the core programs that you started with um, aren't necessarily the programs uh, that the community needs into the future. In other words, just because we're running 10 programs now that are funded through you know, either the federal, state, or local governments doesn't mean in the next five or ten years these will be the same needs of the community. And as the needs of the community changes, yet if there are no funds to support those needs, one can dip into a reserve fund and morph and transition or be more agile in terms of responding to the community needs five or ten years down the road. And that's being proactive. And so we think we're on the cutting edge in terms of being proactive and anticipating need changes in the community over the next five or ten years. And that's why we do community needs assessments uh, once a year to make sure that we're hitting the target. And every three years, we do a full-blown community needs assessment just to make sure that we can anticipate any future needs coming down the pipe. Okay. So, you know, how does um, organizational infrastructure or culture play into that? Oh, it plays, it plays a huge role. I think, um, you know, having one department, like we have organizational development and training, really, you know, working on developing the culture and lifting morale and engaging our employee base and training them in terms of bench strength really starts to set the stage in terms of your excellent level of service that you're trying to achieve because employees feel like they're listened to, um, they feel as if they're part of, they're engaged, and they're doing everything that they can to ensure that our service level remains at excellence every single day. And your service base is your most you know, precious asset. Um, your employee base is, is where you know, the rubber meets the road. And you have to continuously engage them, keep them happy, boost that morale, so they go out externally and represent that as they're delivering services on the front line. And, you know, that's why an organizational development and a training arm is so hugely important to a large organization like the Neighborhood House Association. So it all works hand in glove. Well, you know, I appreciate, of course, hearing that, being your vice president of training organization <laughs> development, too. So, um, and, and I tell you, we do what we do here because we have your support. And, um, and I'm always saying an organization culture becomes whatever is being modeled, supported, and rewarded. And those things don't happen without the leadership and without the budget support to make them happen. So... Um, I definitely want to say kudos and big thank you to you for seeing the value and allowing us to contribute to this organization. Well, thank you. But you know you do such a wonderful job, and this is full disclosure. You know, although you're our vice president of uh, training and OD and you run InnoVisions, um, you, you just have that winning spirit. And, and, again, I go back to those three core responsibilities that I have as a CEO. One of those is Talent Scout. So, I'm just pleased that I have a bunch of Dr. Cheryl G's on board that helps us really push this organization to a high level. Well, great. Thank you, Rudy. You know, I'm going to ask you to share with us, what have you seen, um, and I know there's so many you can pull, you know, pick from here, but if you were to say, gosh, uh, your greatest organizational success, what has it been thus far, what might that look like for you? What might you put your finger on? Wow, you know, that's a tough question. I, yeah. you know, and I, How about I'll just one? This, you don't necessarily have to say your greatest, just one. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I, I don't mean it because we have such a, you know, a, a large number of successes, but I think when I look at it inwardly, I say to myself, you know, here we are four years later in terms of our administration, and we're still employing 887-plus individuals. They have a place to go to work every day, which means... You know, we're helping a bunch of families, um, you know, feed themselves. Uh, we're providing shelter for a bunch of families. 
and we're providing services to the greater community. And that, that stands for something. So uh, I guess my greatest accomplishment right now is that, you know, we've been able to keep the lights on, the doors open, and raise this level of uh, service to a, a very, very high level so that that brand is well-respected in the community. And, you know, that's my job to do that every single day that I come to work, and I think I pride myself on that. Okay. Well, great. And I um, think we're actually doing a wonderful job in that regard, too, and, you know, just really um, appreciate the opportunity to serve with you. And I think those types of things are the things that I think make all of us um, happy that we are working here and being able to make such a positive impact um, on our community. And let me let me just say one more thing about that, if I may, Dr. G. This okay. is where, as you know, this last year, I've really been talking about you know what? Economic. I'm going to just interrupt take for a just a second because yep. I do have to take a commercial break. But hold yep. that thought, and we're going to be right back with more on Leadership Matters. Business community's first choice in Internet talk radio. Voice America Business Network. Zoom leadership. It's the big picture issues of the day, up close and personal capabilities of leadership, and a desirable future of constant renewal. Zoom leadership. It's the economic crisis made clear, patterns and perspectives of leadership, and the importance of changing the way we pursue our future. Join host John Schmidt every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time. Zoom leadership. An inside look at what's really going on in business, government, and civil society. Tune in every week on the Voice America Business Channel. When you are trying to establish your financial plan, there are all sorts of variables that you'll need to take into consideration, from the ever-changing economy and markets to investment risk and your own financial needs. How do you manage all of it to find a plan that will work for you? Tune in to The Insightful Investor with Bob Pugh. We'll help you iron it all out to help you stick to a financial plan with the knowledge that you need. The Insightful Investor is broadcast live Mondays at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or email drg at dr.g at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to dr.g at innovisions.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters with Dr. G. Thank you for staying with us on Leadership Matters. Today with us is Mr. Rudolph Johnson, the third president and CEO of the Neighborhood House Association here in San Diego, California. Rudy, thanks again for being with us today. Thank you. It's been my pleasure. Yes. So before we went to break, you were about to share something about the um, impact I think the organization is having in the community. Yeah, thank you, Doc. you know, a lot, oftentimes we think about nonprofits and we think about social service entities with respect to their social impact, which is hugely important. And as I said, we have a 95-year track record in the local area. However, you know, as as I started to talk about some of the um, some of our most, I would say, um, glowing accomplishments. One of the things I said is that we're continuing to provide jobs. We're continuing to feed families in terms of our workforce. And oftentimes, the discussion 
um, is not are centered around the economic impact that an agency such as the Neighborhood House Association has in the local economy. In other words, you know, every two weeks we have a payroll that we meet, which is about $1.2 million or so dollars every two weeks, which means, you know, a lot of rent's being paid, a lot of grocery stores are being visited, a lot of gas stations are being visited. Um, so we're recycling that payroll revenue back into the local community, and we buy down goods and services about $30 million a year. So not only are we important in terms of the social impact, we're also important to the local economy with respect to our purchasing and buying power. And that's an argument that uh, we really picked up on this year, and, and we've made that case, I think, loud and clear. Yeah, it's definitely a significant impact and contribution. Rudy, I'm going to ask you if there are any final thoughts, um, lessons learned, or tips you'd be willing to share with our listeners as relates to um, preparing for becoming that CEO. Anything else kind of bubble up in your thoughts as we've been kind of going through the process? I know we started out on that vein. Um, just want to see if there's anything else you might share uh, that might help someone prepare or position themselves to be able to successfully transition to the nonprofit sector or into a CEO position? Well, let me start with CEO first, because I think oftentimes it's sexy to want to ascend to a, a position of leadership, whether it's executive director, president, CEO, etc. And one thing that I'll tell the listenership is this, you know, he or she needs to prepare themselves and truly be ready to assume that seat. Um, you know, I heard a saying in my career once that someone said, you know what, you can, get, you can get into a room and get by for five minutes on your looks, and that six minute, they want to know what you can do. Can you dance? Can you perform? Can you do something? And so my, my um, advice would be understand what it takes to be a CEO, and then secondarily, start prepping yourself. Because at some point, someone's going to want to know, can you dance? Can you do the job? And, um, you know, one of the things I was blessed to do was really be involved in all levels of the operational end of the business so that when I had to negotiate labor contracts, understand risk management, understand insurance, you know, understand budgeting, et cetera, et cetera. I had been there, done that. So I was able to manage those pieces of the operation because I used to actually do them. And so um, that would be one piece of advice that I would have for your, uh, your listenership. You know, that reminds me of a quote that I um, once saw, and I always reference it with Oprah Winfrey. I'm not sure if she was the original speaker of it or not, but it is um, success is when preparation meets opportunity. So I really hear you're saying prepare, 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 and uh, be prepared so when, op when the um, door of opportunity knocks, you're ready to kind of walk through. You're ready to go. You're ready to go. Can't wait until the, till the op opportunities in front of you to start preparing. I think I've heard you say as a theme throughout, um, start now if that's the goal, and be ready. And be ready, because you will be called. Mm -hmm. Okay. And then how about final thoughts and tips on what organizations can do to survive, really kind of hitting back to the um, heart of that uh, sustainability question, so really being prepared to meet the needs of our community today and for generations to come. Any final thoughts or tips? I would say take a complete assessment of the uh, service footprint that you do business in, um, make sure you've socked away some unrestricted revenue so that you can morph and be um, flexible and nimble as you transition in and out of uh, programming. And then thirdly, I would just say, um, you know, build the best and brightest team that you can build so that, you know, you don't have to worry about your talent and skill set as you're morphing in and out of different um, business models, and um, we've been fortunate enough to do that here at the Neighborhood House Association, and uh, that would be a recommendation that I had going forward. 
Okay. Everybody, talk a little bit about that. You talk about building a team that can be successful and help the organization move forward. How did you go about doing that? One day at a time, one individual at a time, and, and, and really just, you know, really, first of all, stepping back and assessing when I got here four years ago uh, what the business and talent needs of this organization uh, were. And once I jotted that down on paper, I systematically went out and tried to recruit um, those individuals that I thought could fit or match up well with the positions that were created. For instance, we didn't have an in-house general counsel at the time, and we created that position and uh, found a young man who was over at the San Diego Convention Center who was the associate general counsel but was ready to step up and become a general counsel, so we convinced him to come over. And I told the story about you, Doc, and... um, you know, how you just stepped right on in and went right to work. You know, Marcia Samuels came from the city of San Diego. Uh, she had a depth and breadth of experience in terms of her um, executive-level performance, and, you know, she runs all the other non-Head Start programming. Norma Johnson, who comes from Sacramento, um, runs our Head Start program. Michael Kemp. It's a great general manager, um, years of experience. So, you know, I can go up and down the line. Uh, Kim Peck, who's an outstanding CFO, came from Sacramento. So I can go up and down the line in terms of the talent that we were able to bring in, but it really was assessing the organizational needs and matching the talent with the fit that I thought um, was the best fit. Okay. Good. And so no secret to it, but just really good, um, one might say, needs assessment. You talked about the community needs assessment, and now you're talking about the organizational needs assessment as it relates to identifying what talent is needed and then putting together your resources to go out there and attract and kind of bring to the organization that which you think is going to really, one might say, match up. Absolutely. And you know, don't short sell the need to bring the right folks in. I mean, you need, you heard the expression, getting the right folks on the bus to do the job. It really is up to the president and CEO, the executive director, or the leader to go out and really manage that talent selection process because at the end of the day, he or she is going to be held accountable for the overall performance of that agency. And you really have to be on top of that talent that's coming into the agency. All right. Well, Rudy, thank you again so much for being with us today. And we want to say thank you to all our listeners for tuning in to Leadership Matters. Please join us next week on Wednesday at 2 o'clock p.m. Pacific Standard Time and 5 o'clock p.m. Eastern Standard Time for more on Leadership Matters. again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. G is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter.